0: Thanks for inviting me and, and giving the chance. And I assume somewhat a very slight, at least familiarity that we have heard of the deprivation index before. Probably otherwise you wouldn't be here. Uh, so what I will actually do is uh, I will go. Other than normally, normally I would go through the, how we are constructing the deprivation index, and then I would finish up with some glorious kind of uh, maps which show some very interesting stuff about uh, how we, uh, how the deprivation and affluence has. Changed over time in Ireland. Today, I want to do something slightly different, and that is I will run very quickly through the descriptive data of what we can see. I will then look afterwards at the actual construction and the conceptual underpinning, because what I really want to do is the third thing, then, which is why this uh, method of construction is so important, what it offers us uh, in terms of using the index for predictive modeling in an applied uh, arena. That is where it becomes potentially of interest to you because you may be working on all kinds of different things, but for quite a number of studies, the deprivation index provides us with the perfect tool of uh, um, assessing effectively the social gradient of various outcomes, well-being outcomes and so on uh, throughout a lot of different domains. So I will work relatively quick, I think there's 40 slides or so, not good normally for a presentation, but I will work r- relatively quick through the descriptive stuff because I really want to discuss afterwards the application. So, um, to start off with, we have two different levels. You are possibly familiar with the new census data, which is now uh, at a new census, we have a new census geography, which is the small areas. There used to be 3,400 uh, electoral divisions. Electoral divisions are historically grown which means in the uh, urban peripheries, they have massively increased in population. So you could have a rural ED with about 50 households and you may have uh, an ED in Blanchettstown with a population of 30, 32,000. So that makes modeling or any kind of statistical analysis quite difficult. So we have now the new small areas which are nested within the EDs hierarchically Uh, and they are more or less standardized. They have a minimum population of 50 households or 75 people, average just below 100. So effectively we have now from the census street level data across Ireland, 18 and a half thousand units or small areas. The problem is here, one of analysis, and that is if I do an analysis at an ED level, I will get different results to an analysis at a uh, small area level. You're possibly familiar with the mouth uh, notified area unit problem. Correlations differ at different levels of aggregations. You have to be aware of that because you will get different coefficients and different uh, deprivation scores whether you look at the D-level analysis or the SA-level analysis. Uh, So far we have concentrated in the last couple of months since the publication of the census on the SA level because it's a new one and it's really interesting to look at street level data. If you look at the online mapping tools, there are three websites where you have access to the deprivation index, besides my own one, but as an online mapping tool you can go go into problem maps, you can go into aero or you can go into the health atlas. All three have the same data, they're using the same data as the deprivation index. It's all the SA-level analysis. Even if you go into Power maps and you look at the ED-level scores, they are the aggregations. It's basically the population-weighted SA-level scores aggregated to ED-level. So even if you look at the ED-level mapping, they are the SA-level scores underlying it. What I will start off with today is the actual ED-level analysis, because the ED-level analysis we can do over five census waves since 91. And this is a difference. Just briefly, to show where we are coming from in terms yes, actually, can, if you can uh, darken it a little bit more both completely. Um, just where we're coming. We started in 91 with an exploratory factor analysis of the 91 data set, then again in 96. Then we did our first confirmatory factor, and I will later on explain it, a different uh, method of uh, estimation where we worked uh, over three census weights that work at an international workshop uh, a methodology conference in Cologne, uh, where it was hailed as a breakthrough in index construction. We redid it then for the three census waves, 91 to 02, that is out as a publication. We repeated the ED-level analysis, adding up on the fourth census wave in, in 2006. Then what happened was that these small areas were created in preparation of the 2011 census, data from Northern Ireland as a proof of concept study that because of the way we are constructing it you could even construct it across two different jurisdictions which have slightly different definitions and census variables. That was an important uh, proof of concept study. Then we concentrated next on the analysis at the SA level for 2006 and 2011 and that's the data which is on those three online websites. But what I'm doing now is I'm looking at this analysis which is at the ED level And I'm simply starting, and running very quickly through uh, uh, 10 slides here, because it shows something very interesting. First of all, the index is normally distributed. I assume that you have a little bit of knowledge about statistics, normal distribution, one-third, just basically one standard deviation below, one standard deviation above. So the way we're using it is, first of all, we're using a color screen, blue towards affluence, red towards deprivation. Uh, and you can see that basically two-thirds of Observations, i.e., two-thirds of the country, are within one standard deviation, that's the normal curve, and we are calling that marginally above or marginally below. In other words, it's not of much interest. But we are really interested then in where we start calling it a disadvantage, very disadvantaged, a two-standard deviation or extremely disadvantaged. And um, for example, if you go into Moiros and Limerick, yeah, uh, you will have somewhere something like minus five, minus six standard deviation. Just to give you an example. is to the, the proportion. one decile, one decile, one decile, the last decile would basically be everything from here. So you completely lose the distance to the mean in a ranking because it overemphasizes differences where there isn't really much difference and it understates the differences at the extreme. So the index is normally distributed, that's what we have, and what we see here is in 91 the whole thing is zero centered just with a mean of zero and we have the standard deviations. Just to briefly, if you a feel, for those who know Dublin, here's Dublin, here you have the Liffey, the, the Canal, that's Darndale, Coulogne-Darndale, that's Ballymon, that's Cabra-Finglis, then you have red areas here in parts of Blanchettstown, Kilmainham, Cherry Orchard, here you would have West Tala as a red, this is kind of ballsbridge and Roth you would even pick out kind of not growth uh, shopping center slightly more disadvantaged around it and so on. That's just to give you an intuitive feel of how the, a- the areas are depicted as we have known them for 20, 30 years. There's nothing surprising, and any good analysis shouldn't be surprising. It should basically quantify what you effectively know. But what you see also interestingly here is the blue areas around Every urban environment, the cities, these, the, the yellow uh, diamonds are the 193 census towns, and you will effectively see even at Monaghan kind of cavern and so on, wherever you go, there's a blue around the urban center. Now that's the simple effect of zoning. Builders wanted to build on greenfield sites, and the councilors gave it to them. So what you have is in the outskirts of the towns where you have greenfield sites, we have large-scale housing developments. What's moving in is dinkies, double income, no kids. So therefore, you have young people who by the cohort effect, every if, uh, basically with every generation, the kids are going to school longer. So you have young people with relatively high education moving in it, both working, <coughs> few age dependencies. In other words, basically two incomes, but no additional uh, family members, and that makes these areas comparatively affluent. But now look at what happens from 1991 to 1996, to 2002, to 2006. You see how the affluence has gradually become bigger and bigger, coming from the urban areas. Now the whole thing is that this is Done on an identical measurement matrix and measurement scale, and I will later on go into how that is constructed. But it compares light with light, unlike a ranking which cannot be compared over time or not meaningfully. And then you have 2011. <laughs> As a matter of fact, uh, I will show sure that, uh, that the index goes forward so much up to 2006 and reverts to, to the left scale of 1991. That's what has happened in one five-year period. Briefly, if I take basically, and you have this normal curve and it shifts to the right as affluence was rising until the last period, I can then simply deduct the mean i.e., the underlying trend from each score, and that gives me the relativities at each point in time. So if I'm interested not in how the changes over time, but the distribution at any one point in time, then I can take that detrended data, which we call the relative index scores. So obviously in 91, because it was starting the series there, it's identical. And then you have 96, 2002, 2006, and 2011. And if you didn't see any difference anywhere, it's not you, it is the data. Meaning, what we had seen is that for 15 years, the rising tide had lifted all boats, but the relativity There's a little exception, and that is the inner city area here along the lilies, where you had such scale of gentrification, effectively population sizes doubling and traveling due to in-movement of high-rise buildings, very expensive, so that you have disadvantaged areas which were now basically intermingled with very affluent areas. But that taking aside, the story is that although we have ch- seen massive changes in absolute The same. Bolymol is still volumol, fox rock is still fox rod. That is supported by some analysis from the UK, where they did it, or England or Wales, where they did a study of over a hundred years using data, like uh, life expectancy, uh, survival rates at birth, and so on and so forth. Uh, basically, some very few data points which you have for that. And they found that the relative So uh, what, what this tells us is really that, that the structuration uh, that happens in society is very, very solid. People in Forksworth will make sure that other people do not move into their area. I think we have this morning in the Irish Times uh, Uh, that's the extreme. But what we do see is that that basically structuration is a very, very solid thing. Now, here, just briefly, the data, what you see is exactly the way the mean in the absolute scores went from zero, that's by design, zero center and 91, went to 4.3, 8.4, 9.2. So you see the largest So that is roughly what it is giving you uh, at, the, uh, at the ED level as a storyline. Now, this is the ED level. That's the 2006 data for Dublin, and let's look at North Dock C. And this is the SA level data. This gives you an idea of the scale difference between looking at ED level data and small area level data. And as you can see, uh, what was one ED. Extremely affluent area there, and then you have Oriel Street, Lock and House, and so on, as where basically those who used to live in Sheriff Street have been displaced into those areas. So that gives you an idea of the scale differences. And so what we are now looking at is actually this data. And again, I'm showing it very briefly. Here you have the 18 and a half thousand small areas. Um, the areas are not a little bit kind of less pronounced. It's not always that. But the point is, it provides us with street level data, and that is important for other reasons. So we have the 2006 here, and we have the 2011. Again, this is only the leftward chip, but obviously I cannot show the full time series at the SA level because the SA level data is only available for 2006 and 2011. And we have the relativities again, 2006 the same, and 2011. that's some bit of random notes. So that's the data. And you can look at it, uh, the PowerPoint show will be up. So you can look at it in your own time. It's just to give a background of the broad kind of descriptive. What I really want to talk now is about <coughs> the, the, the conceptual parts. Start off with the going definition of uh, poverty, uh, and for both for the Irish government, corporate poverty, uh, EU, and so on, is people are living in poverty if their income and resources, material, cultural, and social, are so inadequate as to preclude them from having the standard of living which is regarded as acceptable by Irish society generally. I don't find it a particularly good definition because it's extremely difficult to actually operationalize it. Uh, What is material, cultural, and social. Um, Coombs, I think David uh, Coombs, did a I think a much better definition, '95, where he said he worked on a deprivation index for the UK. The fundamental implication of the term deprivation is of an absence of essential or desirable attributes, possession, and opportunities, which are considered no more than the minimum by that society. Sounds very similar, but I'll tell you why I like this. Attributes, possessions, and opportunities. Think of it as vectors. Attributes is what rests with yourself. It's the skin of your color, your religion, your uh, education, your uh, age, your gender, whatever. So it's a a no vector. Possessions is what you can draw on you, so it may be your income or your income stream or the education as a proxy for the income stream, your we- uh, your wealth, car ownership, you name it, yeah, uh, anything. It's a vector from there towards you. Opportunities is what you can access, yeah, where you can go. Now the interesting thing, so it's a vector from here to there. There are two, there are a couple of things interesting about it. First of all, those try to complete possibilities. So it's a comprehensive definition to start off with, and we know that it's comprehensive. Then you have to ask yourself, how can you measure it? and You will realize that attributes and com- uh, possessions we can measure through a survey, we can measure through a census, we can measure through administrative data. It rests within the person, we can recall it. Then you think of opportunity, and you say, hang hey, no, on. Where do I measure that? How do I measure that? Think of a household. reasonably middle off. The first two jump in the car, they can drive vis-à-vis uh, uh, access to public transport and the distance and the size of towns. Because obviously you have a hierarchy of services and, <coughs> and jobs and so on with the size of the towns and yeah. have the distance to travel. So in other words, opportunity deprivation cannot be measured. And it's not a question of just another variable and another variable and another variable. By definition, opportunity deprivation cannot be measured in the individual in because if you look at any deprivation index, worldwide, world, they don't look at that. They start with the data they have, say how we can reduce that to avoid double counting, and then basically they come up with something. What they don't realize is that they will come up with an urban bias index. Because if you look at rural deprivation, which, of course, in Ireland is a much bigger role than in England or other countries, then rural deprivation is first and foremost mediated through the access <coughs> to public transport. So therefore, we will have to look conceptually of how we deal with that. Now, as I said, most deprivation indices, German Index, Carstairs, Morris, and so on, historical will do uh, exploratory factor analysis, mostly called factor analysis. But you have to be aware it's really, the full term is EAA, exploratory factor analysis. Why? Because it takes the data. And it's a data reduction method, because if you take different domains then let's say, like housing, health, the income, uh, and so on. You know that there is such a thing as let's call it social class or whatever, which is being expressed in all these domains. So you don't want to double count in an uncontrolled manner, and you do a data reduction, which is exploratory factor analysis. The problem with exploratory factor analysis is that it is data driven. You take the data, and then you try afterwards to somehow uh, uh, put the meaning on the underlying factors, which may or may not work. The second thing is every one of your data points will load on any of the factors, so therefore, you can't control the design. And thirdly, you have no control whether that's actually a comprehensive definition, because you're not starting from a theoretical point. The alternative, then, to do Conceptualize what's called a latent concept, and you treat your variables as the imperfect manifestations of a true concept, which means you can also then uh, account for measurement uh, uh, error and, and design error and so on, which is expressed as the error terms here. And so the whole thing works the other way around. It's mathematically more complicated, but vastly superior. So therefore we can uh, come from a theoretical model. We now also don't have a way to say, how many variables should Should we use a lot of variables? Should we use few variables? It's very simple. If you have a, a latent concept, you need a minimum of three, possibly four or five variables. After that, additional variables will not improve the overall model. And the nice thing about uh, structural equation modeling is that you have. So this site is called the measurement model. And then you may have various kind of structural elements of how things are related between the, the latent concepts. So what do we have then? We have looked at about 30 different deprivation indices throughout the OECD countries. And we realized that there's always the same structure emerging. And that is at the center, you have social All right. Third level education, which would be in an inverse relationship. They each have their own rationale, and for example, we know that in areas like Balimon on the bottom left, uh, which is not quite as deprived, and if you can afford it, you send your kids over to Finland. So it doesn't matter whether it's directly or indirectly correlated, which, again, goes against some of the other wisdoms in the field. That is the total model for the SA, for the small area model. It's a longitudinal model. You see the uh, mirror-wise design, twice that model. And here we have a fully specified model, where we even include, as a longitudinal model, a structural model in the middle of how the individual components affect the next phase. That's the design underlying. And as you see, it's computed in a single uh, course of uh, computations. Um, again, this looks almost identical. The only thing is uh, uh, that this part, the structural model, is identical to the uh, SA level. This is now the ED level. There's two extra uh, covariances coming in simply to improve the model design. And what we do in the ED level model. So what do we have? We have true multidimensionality. Multidimensionality is not multiple domains. Domains can be affected by some underlying structures. And uh, here we're talking about true multidimensionality. If you look at the Nobel index in England, it has no controlled dimensionality. It simply takes eight domains and adds up the data. Provides an an appropriate treatment of both urban and rural deprivation. We have no double counting. Rational approach to indicator selection alternative fit indices to test model adequacy, identical structure matrix across multiple waves, identical measurement scales across multiple waves. Therefore, we maintain the true distances to the means. It's a measurement, not a ranking. We distinguish between measurement of absolute and relative deprivation, and we allow for true intertemporal comparison, which no other deprivation index worldwide has achieved. So that's the design end. What I now want to talk briefly is, uh, why is all of this so important, particularly the design element. Let's briefly mention where this is currently being used. Obviously we started with the Global Community Development Programme, you know, you may know, or ADM as it used to be called. We have 50 local development, uh, community uh, development companies. They are designed basically at minus one standard Working. We have RAPID, which is designed at minus two standard deviation, that is for special consideration in the local authorities. We have childcare initiatives, which are highly geared to the more disadvantaged areas. We have family resource centers, 107, which are meant to be in the more disadvantaged areas. The fact that they're unfortunately not. We have counter development plans, which use the index basically to draw attention to the more disadvantaged areas and the, what needs to be done. Most important, and that's where the rest of studies, epidemiological studies, we have primary health care questions and answers, and not so much physicians. Uh, We have health inequality. All of that uses a very simple reason. You have a lot of administrative data these days. Think of high the the hospital inpatient uh, administrative system. You have all the medical data for every individual, but you do not know the social class. Now this is important, because we do know that a higher social class will in better health outcomes, you have a social gradient, or as we say, socioeconomic status gradient, or in short, SES gradient. And health, in particular, has a massive SES gradient. Uh, So therefore, there's a lot to be said of using something, but you do have all the health outcomes, as I said, from high. But if you want to model it, you need the social class of the patient. And the point is that through the address coding, you can effectively use nowadays first of all it is now at the small area level which gives you street level uh, data and therefore on the uh, assumption that within the street the social class spectrum is somewhat limited uh, you can use the, the, the deprivation index in a very very effective way as a proxy for the individual level of social class and thereby you can vastly improve uh, any of these kind of health studies in terms of their uh, their We have educational disadvantage. You may know about the higher education access route because every one of the seven seven universities has uh, a year program by which people who live in the designated uh, disadvantaged areas using this deprivation index get extra points for the CAO system or some other way of extra consideration. Uh, Not too many people know about it, but it's actually quite a big thing. Um, We have the National Transport Planning. The National Transport Authority started using the deprivation index variation of alternative groups yeah. in terms of their socioeconomic impact um, towards those population groups which exactly depend, have a higher dependence on uh, public transport. We have the national spatial strategy, the, the, the gateway development index and so on, and so forth, which are all using the deprivation index. And then I want to talk in particular, I will also talk about this study in CETICI, and that's Sounds a little bit optimizing the sampling strategy for CSO household surveys. But I will actually start with that because it has massive implications. And we have EU the quarterly national household survey, growing up in Ireland, TILDA, Sloan, and the national disability survey, all of which are highly effective to be uh, interrogated in the context of the deprivation index. Now, I said, there's a uh, the basic thing is here we have a deprivation. Profile, normally distributed, and we know somewhere the health risks have somewhere a gradient, but we do not know the exact gradient. And that is what we're trying to work on, determining this gradient and therefore uh, um, a decision-making tool for resource allocation. And I want to talk about two or three studies which we are now engaging in, which demonstrate of how we can use the deprivation index to be very effectively. we want to do is we want to look at the access to cancer care. We're doing a structural equation modeling where we go again look at the attributes, possessions, and opportunities that people have. Uh, it's a good starting point for a model that kind of threefold. Uh, so we postulate some kind of relationship there. We will have a measurement model for the attributes which would be basically age, uh, gender, and so on and so forth. We have possessions, which would be your basically your class uh, estimator and so on. And then we looked basically at the opportunities the, or the risk and protective factors. And they are thought of, for example, if you're living in a more remote area, you may go to a GP who doesn't have a particular wide horizon. So we will be looking not only at 13,000 cancer cases for the specific study, but we will be looking at 420,000 referrals how social class permeates, not uh, perme- uh, already influences the whole pathways of uh, seeking help, the help you're being proposed, the way you may be questioned, it, what treatment you're getting, how you're following up on the treatment, and so on and so forth, and how that is affected by social class. So I want to talk about resource allocation. You're... really really saying is yes we need an objective resource allocation model. We were working with Roshan Johol on the allocation of 20 million for 250 extra places in primary health care and this model is a very simple one. Think of this is your global distribution of Athens and deprivation and then each of the 18 and a half thousand small areas somewhere has a distribution along that line. So if we take a very disadvantaged one here, minus three standard deviation, or a score of minus 30, we assume, again, the population within that being somewhere normally distributed. It's an assumption, but somewhere it's not too far off. If an area is still disadvantaged, but not quite as disadvantaged, the distribution will be here and here and here and here, as as you go more towards an uh, uh, affluent area. So therefore, we can say, if we have total population model is because obviously if you have a resource of a patient to different hospitals, primary health centres and so on and so forth, the starting point is the total population. How is the population distributed across the country? So what you do is you basically take a line here and everything to the left of the line is basically in your model. But then I can say, no, come on, we have a health gradient here, uh, SES gradient and health outcomes. Let's only take the population to the left. In this area now, basically everyone would be counted in. Here, 98 out of 100 would be counted in. Here, 76, uh, and so on and so forth. And so therefore, what we do is we get a model estimate of the low deprivation model for what the estimated number of people are in every one area who could be deemed to be more uh, um, in need. And then we can have another model, which we, let's say, set the median model at minus one standard deviation, doing the same thing again. and we have a high-deprivation model. And as I said, uh, we use this for other things as well. Uh, And what we do is simply we have those model inputs, (coughs) the senses, and then we make some decision on how we think the overall gradient is, and at the moment we are thinking, without the knowledge of any hard data, it's 60%, forty percent 50% for the four models, we get a certain model mix, and then we take from the HSE, the actual allocations in terms of human resources uh, or the money, we uh, we sum that up and we compare that. And now we have basically the outcome, what the distribution would be on a population base, on a low model, on a medium. So they are reference models, that is what the current is get yeah, something like that in health that we of see change in, in, in Irish politics. Um, I said I want to talk briefly about the study we did for the CSO. Why is this important? The CSO does a lot of do is sample design for what area A. completely new possibility. And that is, there are new modeling techniques which have been developed by the BIAS project. That's a project in the UK, Nikki Best, Sylvia Richardson. They were asked by the Office of National Statistics, that's the UK CSO, to develop a methodology by which to combine survey data with the knowledge of census data, and basically the modeling approach to reverse model, model in between uh the within the between. small area. In other words, you can have a detailed sample survey, like GUI, like killer, and so on and so forth, and then predict every single survey question back to every small area, every street level in the country. And that is where the power comes in. Because effectively, the deprivation index provides you with the ideal spatial HSE, they will give us the administrative and, and data and, uh, in terms of budgets and personnel. We will combine the small area estimates, which are estimates with a certain error term, to the higher levels uh, of functional areas, primary care teams, ICT, uh, ISAs, integrated service areas, or regions, compared with the administrative resources uh, allocated to that, and basically undertake the quality analysis and gap analysis. So that Thank you.